0: The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. 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 This is, is AV Nation.
1: Nation.
2: This is AV Nation.
0: Nation.
1: This is an AV Nation special: the sounds of In the Dark. It's Tim Albright with an AV Nation special. What we're doing is we're talking with the sound designer, engineers, and supervisors for the, the CW program, In the Dark. Uh, if you're not familiar with In the Dark, In the Dark uh, airs actually uh, broadcast on CW every Thursday. Interesting story. Uh, it's a, 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 a seeing-impaired uh, blind um, um, 20-something, uh, her name's Murphy, um, and she is trying to find out who, who killed, murdered uh, her friend Tyson. Um, with me today to talk about kind of the sound design and how we create the world of Seeing impaired person is Mike McCone, Shaughnessy Hare, and Elliot Thompson uh, from uh, King Soundworks. welcome gentlemen thanks thanks for having me absolutely uh, Elliot we'll start with you on this um, all right. we'll, when somebody brings a, a concept like this and, and we've we 've talked with a, a bunch of folks from from King Soundworks before you talented folks that create all kinds of really great uh, audio and um, experiences. No, seriously, mm-hmm. we, we, we've talked with you guys about uh, Cosmos and about Jumanji and a number of others. Um, somebody brings this to you and they say, you know what, Here, here's, the, here's the pitch, Elliot. Um, the girl can't see, right? So immediately, you, uh, there, there are those of us who have grown up in, in, in watching movies and grown up with comic books. You're immediately drawn to other... Um, famous seeing impaired people and they, they tend to heighten the effects when it comes to uh, audio, when it comes to other uh, obviously senses. So when they, they bring this to you and they say, you know what, Elliot, this is, this is the deal. Uh, we need to start you know, enhancing some of the other aspects of uh, the character, including what she hears and, and experiences. How do you do that? How do you walk through that, that script and go, okay, here's an area where we can enhance?
2: Well, that's a good question. I know that that was my uh, first impression of when, when I found out about this show, is that, you know, probably gonna have to enhance certain aspects of, of you know, other senses. Obviously we're in audio, so the sound aspect. Um, but, and you know, Mike actually might be able to speak better on this, but I think that they were trying not to fall into that, uh, that sort of cliche. I think mm-hmm. they're, they wanted, just more realism, especially. I mean, because Mike, do you want to take over? Because I know what the effects. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't quite the case with that. Do you know? Do you remember the, um, what Corinne had spoken to you about? Yeah.
3: So. With- uh, yeah, I do remember ramping up for this. And there's actually, I can't. It's been one of the first few episodes of the first sound. Murphy actually comes out and like she kind of does a gag where she like pretends to have super hearing and then says, "No, that's that's complete BS. Like <laughs> blind people can't hear any better than a normal person." So, um, I mean, more than anything with a show like this and um, with the, with the tone of it, which is pretty gritty and pretty real, um, we really wanted to make the sound be character-driven and not necessarily high concept. Okay. So, uh, you know, especially when the show specifically calls out, like, you no, know, blind people don't have super hearing, um, what we're really doing is following the character's emotions more than anything. So, um, you know, what that really meant to to us when we were building the Murphy's world was not so much the like Elliot said, the cliche of the enhanced sounds, certain things being super loud, like she can hear a pin drop. It's building depth into the world. So what we do a lot of the times is uh, when we're in the interiors, we bring the outside into the world so that when we're in her apartment, it's not just, you know, maybe the air conditioning or the room tone in her apartment, we're hearing cars pass by, we're hearing the L train, the shows set in Chicago. So really distinctive Chicago sound, the L train. Um, and things like that, we really want to make sure that wherever she is, that there are things happening in the world around her that we, you know, like a person who might be seeing impaired, if we're not paying attention to them, we might not even notice them. But if we take the time to really listen to the track, you can hear all the steps and all this detail in her world.
1: Mike, let's take a little step back here and, and take a look at Chicago for a second. I'm, I'm in, in, in Illinois, well, in southwest Illinois, just outside of St. Louis. And I, I have, we've, we've all kind of traveled a bit, obviously not right now. Uh, but, but when we were all traveling, Chicago was obviously kind of a second city for us here in St. Louis. And it has sure. a distinct sound. The L specifically has a distinct sound. When you get a, a project like this and you get something that is so unique, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, that the trolleys of San Francisco would be another one that's so unique. How do you recreate that? Or is it something where you just simply jump on a plane with your, with your team and go, we're just simply going to capture it as it happens?
3: Uh, that's, that's something that's, a, that's actually a really interesting question right now, as opposed to if you'd asked me that when I started uh, 10 or 15 years ago, where it would have been much more Um, jump on a, jump on a plane or get in touch with somebody that I know in Chicago. There's so many commercial libraries available now with recordists working in different cities that um, finding, finding pre-recorded Chicago sounds and then using our really super expensive library that we have at King Soundworks. We really didn't have to do a lot of custom recordings for Chicago specifically Um, But I did spend a couple of weeks prepping for the show, really going through the the existing stuff that we had and the available commercial libraries and looking for um, things that would give that distinct flavor. I grew up in the Midwest as well. I grew up in Iowa. So I have definitely spent, uh, Chicago's not my second city, that'd be Minneapolis, but uh, but I've spent a fair amount of time there and kind of understand the flavor of what I was looking for when I was doing Chicago. Um, It's a little bit challenging at times. Uh, The show is not shot in Chicago, so um, definitely we're were faking it with some of the insert shots and the, um, you know, lots of interiors. But uh, it was a really interesting challenge. It was it was fun to spend some time just listening to the soundscape of Chicago and seeing what felt true to me.
1: As someone who spent the good best part of his college career. Listening to through some of those sound libraries, um, I can only imagine how many weeks you sp- you spent um, going through those. <laughs> do, do, do you have a preference? I mean, do you do you have a, if you would if you had your, your druthers, right and and you know we're we're outside of this this crisis that we're all in now and you know what uh, instead of spending two weeks going through a library, you you can you know just as easily both from a, a time management standpoint as well as a cost standpoint because your 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 time costs money would you prefer to use the library or would you prefer to record something, um, live uh, and, and custom?
3: Uh, you always love, love to have custom stuff. Um, there's, there's something intensely personable, personal about using, rec- uh, effects that you recorded yourself. You know them better. You know where they came from. There's a little story about all of them. And I, I use a ton of custom effects in the show. Don't get me wrong. Uh, uh the L train specifically, we didn't record, but, um, I have a ton of of recordings that we did use in this show one of the coolest things to me about working on this season of in the dark season two specifically is it's all set in the winter very unusual for a broadcast tv show to have such a strong sense of a winter season uh, in it and winter in the midwest sounds completely unique to me uh, especially now having lived out in california for a long time the the birds are all different, the way the traffic sounds, is, is completely different when all the leaves are off the trees and you get that cold air and the sounds of cars just travel forever and ever. And um, there are lots of opportunities we had in this season of the show to use those types of sounds to really sell that desolate Midwestern winter. And those are all custom recordings and I, I absolutely love using those. Um, you know, there's a there's a third way that I've used other than what you described of either going and, and recording myself or using library. And I've, I've actually sent recorders out to family members that live in different parts of oh, the Midwest, yeah. if I'm in yeah. a pinch and I need stuff. So a lot of these pocket recorders, they're easy enough for anybody to use. So, uh, you know, send a recorder out to, to mom and dad for uh, a month and just have them shoot what they, uh, you know, my dad uh, did a little bit of cross country skiing and, and biking. So he'd go out, uh, in the winter, to the uh, to the nature preserves and record winter birds, early in the morning or late in the evening. Uh, I love that stuff, man. It's it's oh. really great, and it's a pers- perspective that even if I had gone back, I wouldn't have gotten because I'm not going to bike five and a half miles out into the nature preserves at 5:30 in the morning. But my dad was doing it anyway.
1: No, absolutely not. No, God love your dad. Yeah. Uh, Shauna, Shauna see, let's bring you in on this, because something Mike said, and, and that's the sounds different. Sounds are different when it comes to the different times of years. Yeah, and, and the Midwest is is especially true. We, just the cold, right? And, and let me pick on the Midwest. When, when the weather gets colder and when the atmosphere gets thinner, sound is different. And so how do you tackle that from, from a, a dialogue standpoint you know, when somebody's outside that, that is going to be different if they're talking on the, you know, on the corner of La Salle um, in the summer than when they are in, in the winter. Well, that, that's a
0: very interesting uh, point that you brought up. See something Mike and I discussed early on when doing the show was exactly this fact that in the winter, it sounds different because the world is different, meaning there's, uh, uh, there's less tree or leaves on the trees, right? There's, traffic sounds different. Engines sound different in the cold than they do when they're warm. So mm-hmm. we, uh, we really spent a lot of time thinking about what's different. The reflections in the world are different. Things sound isn't bouncing the way it bounces in the winter that it does in the summer. So when it came to working the dialogue, uh, Elliot and I made sure we got it nice and clean, got tried to take as much, you know, junk out of the tracks, especially when they're out on the uh, they shot practically in a lot of places so they were out on the city streets uh we didn't shoot a lot of ADR for this show so the majority of it is actually production I'd say 98 percent of it so we made sure to get that stuff really clean so Mike uh could play his effects in a way where we started using reverbs and things of that nature to sort of make the world reflect a little differently and I did the same with the dialogue so when it came to Using exterior reverbs on voices and things, Mike and I would talk and say, "Hey, what kind of reflection are you using?" Oh, I'm going to use a short slap in this uh, alleyway, and it'll help reflect, you know, uh, the same way the dog bark does that you have there, or you know, whatever else is going on. So, uh, very much spent a lot of time talking about how things sound different in the winter than they do in the summer. And if you think about it, uh, because of temperature change, it's all physics, right? So sound travels faster when it's heated outside. Uh, When the air is thinner, it'll, you know, waves travel differently. So at the end of the day, we're just dealing with physics and we're trying to replicate a world that we're all familiar with, but might not necessarily pay attention to. If you go outside your house in the winter and clap your hands, you're gonna hear it reflect off the other houses in your neighborhood And if you record that and then you go out in, say, the summer and do the same thing when the foliage is full and, you know, uh, you're going to, again, it's going to sound different even if you're at the same time, same place, uh, doing the same action. So uh, we spent uh, quite a bit of time talking about that and how to get that to come through in the track.
1: Well, and Elliot, kind of wrap this whole thing around for me here? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Shaughnessy talked about, you know, the different effects and stuff like that of whether you're in an alleyway or you're in the middle of the street and how those those when you're in those environments yes physics plays in a a a, 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 an effect here but you're in a studio you're in a studio so how do you how do you learn that right is it something where you just kind of go out and and you know you you learn through experience or is there some sort of um, you know, mathematical calculation that we can do to say, you know what, during a, if if two parallel walls are are here and they're made of brick, this is the reverb.
2: Yeah, I mean, there is quite a large bag of tricks that I would say that um, we as sound designers have, um, and it's boy, I wish. I think Sean and Sue would agree with me. I wish it was just the same same one every time, but it's usually. Um, a matter of of trial and error, I know you know obviously there's an abundance of reverbs to choose from, just to start with that um, and but then you know they may not may not quite match, and then you realize that oh, maybe I have to use a certain type of delay and you know the various plugins and whatnot and then sometimes it's 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 a matter of, of eq of though so just the way you if you um, take some of the low end off the voice, suddenly it reflects in a different way. Um, sometimes you have to compress it in a different way. It's, it's quite, um, I, don't, I know I find that kind of, I know it could be maddening, but it's kind of fun too, because to, once, once you if it was easy every time, um, maybe maybe more people could do it, <laughs> I don't know. But it's, it's, when you have to do all that trial and error and then you finally get it, it's pretty rewarding. And it's in my experience, it's usually not the same thing every time. But if you do it enough, um, you'll think, all right, well, I tried the EQ. I tried the reverb. I tried the delay. Um, you know, maybe maybe it's just the way we do the volume automation. So, you know, we spike the volume up and down really quick, you know, or it's just something like that. And then suddenly it works. And then you think, oh, I'll have to remember that for next time. Um, And then that's, I mean, do you, would you agree, Shaughnessy? I think that's.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's not a one size fits all and it never is. Um, You know, you can get into a scene and go, okay, well, I'm out here in the street, so I'm going to pick my favorite street uh, reflection. And this is what I like to start with. And then once you put it in there against the effects and the traffic starts chewing it up or the music comes over the top and suddenly it's either gone or it's washy say, so well, I'll, I'll just add more. Then suddenly they sound like they're down a 50-foot hallway or, you know, a, a thousand feet away. Go, that doesn't work at all. I can't do that. Uh, so, yeah, it, I mean, it, it's always a process. You Everyone starts with their bag of tricks. And the longer you do this, the bigger your bag gets. So you start to, you lean into what you know and what sounds natural. And then you start working it from there. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's not like every time I get to the alleyway, this is the verb. Every time I get in the apartment, this is the verb. Uh, you know, like we said, uh, voices change uh, in terms of temperatures in rooms and how weighty they are, how boomy they are, how sibilant they are if they're on a radio versus if they're on a boom, you know. Uh, all those things hit verbs differently. They They sound different in rooms, time of day, where the... Boom operator had the boom at that particular point or didn't have it. Um, So it's just a matter of, you know, what sounds right. And that's back to the whole you got to trust your ears, right? You can't just go, well, you know, I get in this room and this is what I do. And, you know, Mm -hmm. well, it sounds kind of weird, but I'm just going to leave it because that's what I do. Well, that's never right. And sometimes the right answer is no verb. Maybe there's enough on there already. Maybe it's roomy enough. Maybe you have to take a lav and a boom and put them together and mix and match and just use the natural room. That's on the production boom track, you know? So you just, you just have to trust your ears, which is sort of the old sound cliche, but you know, a lot of young guys get into the business and they're so hung up on, Oh, I have this gear and I've got this board and I've got this amount of plugins and this and this and this. And then you listen to the track and you go, you didn't listen to the track, (laughs) all that stuff. Those are just the tools your ears are what's going to tell the truth. So if it sounds good, it is good. Don't worry so much about the tools. Worry more about what your final sound is, you know? So there was, there's a lot of exploration as you go. And as you do it more, you get faster at it and you can immediately sort of hear, uh, mixing dialogue long enough. You can hear the frequencies that you want to add or subtract right off the bat. Um, if you go from the top of a show uh, and play the first scene, and then you go say somewhere around 30, 40 minutes and you play a scene and you try to, you flip back to back you can go, Oh my goodness, those sounds so different. What happened? Then as you play the show in a run, there's a transition through the show where you don't notice those kind of things. It sounds natural as you go. So, and those are all those thousands of decisions you make as you go through the show. So, um, at the risk of sounding cliche, you know, it's sort of just a, you just use your ears, you know?
1: Well, no, and that natural sound is, is the ultimate goal, right? You don't want to, to notice it, right? It, it just needs yeah. to really Right, we're faking
0: reality, up. right? So yeah. if, we can, if we can trick our, our viewers into thinking they're there with the characters and invest it emotionally, then we win. That's all we're trying to do is help tell this story uh, and being transparent at the same time, you know, if you notice the dialogue is getting bad, or you notice a door closes cartoony sounding, that takes you right out of it. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know maybe some people don't, but a sounder definitely. We're always listening to tracks
1: <laughs> with our that, super hearing. That that, um, that is an occupational so, hazard. Just to, just. You know. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys, as we kind of wrap up here, Mike McCone, that was Shaughnessy here, uh, as well as Elliot Thompson, uh, all from uh, King Soundworks. This, the, you, you, there's a lot of parts and pieces, which I don't think sometimes people understand. We're talking with, with three gentlemen that, that helped uh, put this show together. And it's almost like a, uh, like a, like a kitchen, right? A, a, a kitchen and a restaurant where you've got this chef over here making this part, this chef over here making this part, but then you've got a head chef. Who's the head chef?
2: I guess, well, this, the showrunner. I
1: mean, honestly, yeah, that's, that's the real answer. <laughs>
2: be
0: Corinne. Um, yeah,
2: the showrunner, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For yeah sure. Well, I, I mean, I, like uh, every, uh, for every episode, I would sit with um, Corinne and the producers and the editor and we would watch the episode and she would say, I want this to sound like this. I want this to sound like this. You know, she's very in, in tune to what she wants to sound, uh, what's, she wants it to sound like, just how she wants it to look and everything. And so we take, you know, sort of her overall menu of, of what she's decided she wants the show to sound like, and we try to create that. Okay. Um, so I guess, I guess, is the, if that makes sense.
1: No, um, it makes it's the, it's more, complete sense. Yeah, that—that's it, You've got the overarching, you know, the, the, the show's producer and the directors that are kind of, you know, saying this is this is the direction, right? This is the flavors that we want, whether that's audio wise or video wise. Yes,
2: yeah. and it's it's ultimately down to her, um, what gets served.
1: If I'm just going to keep this metaphor rolling, um, I love that. I love that metaphor. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, uh, the show is called. I, um, In the... Go ahead. Oh, I I, uh, I actually heard another
3: group of um, sound guys talking about this especially during this pandemic period where a lot of times we were we're mixing playing back for corinne remotely there are uh there are showrunners and producers who are process oriented who really need to be in the room and see how you're doing what you're doing to make a decision about whether they like what you're doing or what they what they don't and feel like they really had a hand in the process and there are product oriented producers and directors people who really they'll step back they'll take a listen to what has been presented to them and then pick out What's working and what's not working. And uh, we were blessed on the show to have a really product oriented uh, production crew, people who really uh, let us do our thing and then came in and gave us great notes on how they felt like we were representing the emotional tone of the show or what needed to happen pace wise at any given time and, and helped us adjust it at the end. So uh, that was a really great experience for us.
1: That's awesome. All right, guys. Thank you all so much. Again, this is uh, it's called In the Dark. It, ha- uh, it takes place on CW every Thursday. Uh, Mike McCone, uh, Shaughnessy here, and Elliot Thompson from King Sandwich. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, for us, for AV Nation, go by our website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Find programs like this and a host of others. Uh, also, while you're there, check out our two weekly programs, AV Week and Resi Week. It happens every Monday and Wednesday. All that and more at... TVNation.tv that's TVNation.tv